I grew up in southern Indiana, just across from Louisville, Kentucky. I've been to the street corner where the Catholic monk Thomas Merton had his mystical experience. In fact, I've been there many times. Today, it's not much of a shopping district, though my aunt vividly remembers going there as a girl because all the best department stores were there. But white flight meant that Louisville's downtown succumbed to crime and poverty for many years. As many cities have been doing lately, the area went, underwent a revitalization in the last decade. The street corner marks the south entrance to an expensive bar and restaurant complex, mostly geared towards tourists. Think Times Square if a Catholic monk had had a mystical experience there. Locals like me tend to avoid the area unless we have a very good reason to go. And yet, this busy party area, mostly frequented by people seeking to forget themselves with alcohol and dancing into the night, is also the only place I've ever encountered a National Historic sign marking the site of a mystical experience. In a rather ordinary moment when Merton just wanted to get his chores over with, so he could get back to his solitude and contemplation, he suddenly realized in a rather embodied and visceral way that he was connected to everyone and everything around him. There was a sense of love that emerged in that moment and the knowledge that interdependence was reality. To Merton, he described it as the presence of God in the world, the sacred in the present moment and not some transcendental realm elsewhere. What Merton experienced that day in Louisville was a moment of awe, a feeling of wonder and respect as in that moment he realized that we need one another and that we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. Whether you call that God or the spirit of life or the great mystery or even just the universe. This morning during the answers to the question, when have you experienced awe? I, there were a lot of answers connected to nature and for good reason, but yet, Merton experienced all that day on a random street corner in Louisville, and it shaped his ministry for the rest of his life. It taught him that he doesn't just exist for himself, and that being a holy person isn't about locking yourself in a hermitage while the world burns. Indeed, Merton's legacy is as a reformer and a bridge builder, becoming one of a number of religious leaders in the 1950s and 1960s, willing to dialogue together for the good of humanity. 
made him realize that the spiritual life isn't about making yourself feel good, but about using the truth of interdependence to work for the day that everyone feels good. Awe isn't just a Christian experience or even a theistic experience. In fact, I argue that it was atheists who first taught me how to experience awe, because awe often arises out of scientific, philosophic, and theological inquiry into the universe. In fact, some of the people whom I would say are the most spiritually awestruck people would call themselves atheists. Noted scientist and skeptor Michael Shermer once said that anything that generates a sense of awe may be a source of spirituality, and science does this in spades. There is so much we will never understand and our ignorance in the face of the vastness of the universe can be food for all. I hope that no matter who you are or what your life, lot in life is, you have at some point experienced awe, whether it be in a mountain sunset on a cloudless night or the beauty of a newborn baby or a musical or artistic composition that leaves you silent. All can come in many forms, but what each has in common is that they bring the transcendent to life, reminding us that we're part of something bigger. As Dr. Amy Gordon of the University of California, San Francisco put it, it's how we respond when we see something new or novel that doesn't fit our understanding of the world. We need awe in order to make meaning and discover our purpose in the world. I believe we're all born with infinite capacity towards awe and wonder. If you doubt this, watch a young child engaging in play as a way of getting to know the world around them, as well as the infinite questions that arise for them about their surroundings. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Somewhere along the way, though, our culture teaches us to stop engaging so much as a practical measure that was probably intended for survival. After all, if you're running from predators in a jungle, you'll probably be more likely to get eaten by a lion if you stop to look in awe at everything around you. But today, all can be a great, great source of inspiration. The problem is that so many of us have forgotten our place in the world. Adult life and dominant culture often presents us with so many distractions that it's hard to slow down and simply be with what is present, to experience a transcendent sense of being a part of something larger than the everyday cares and concerns of the now. I propose that the longer I fail to recognize the sense of disconnection, the more I feel like I don't belong to the universe, 
that I don't belong to you. That there is no meaning or purpose, either inherent or discovered in the world. This morning, as I was coming into service, I was telling Ben that I could have, if it were not for my GPS, just passed by this building without noticing there is a beautiful church here. It does, after all, blend in so well with the buildings around it. And yet, and yet, if I had, I would have missed out on the opportunity to experience what it's like in such a beautiful, beautiful building. And we see this all the time, don't we? On a trip to Peru, to Machu Picchu, I remember watching a young man just walking around aimlessly, talking on his cell phone, definitely not an employee, and yet tuned out to what was around him. It's not just personal fulfillment either that a lack of awe can make us forget. Our lack of awe can make us forget how important stewardship of the earth is, which I believe has led to our current climate crisis. If we don't notice how special the world is and what our place in it truly comes to, it becomes easier to simply take and take and take until nature has no more left to give. Rather than listening to the symbols of imbalance that our ancestors once knew, it becomes possible to pretend that the earth is simply a thing to be used for our exploitation. And once we let ourselves discard the landscapes, the plants, the animals that don't spark a sense of belonging in us, it also becomes increasingly possible to discard other humans. Because when we're willing to exclude some from our circle of concern, it becomes infinitely easier to create hierarchies of humans as well. Hierarchies of race, of gender, of sexuality, of class, of religion. I think that what the world needs today is a great awakening of a different sort. As we wake up to the fact that we belong to this universe and we forget that at our own peril. And I believe I need awe to remind me to care for the world even when I don't feel like it, even when it feels like there's other things to do. To care about the world and her creatures as I would my dearest friends. To figure out how to make sense of this mess we've gotten itself, ourselves into through our own forgetfulness. Now, like most emotional reactions, I don't believe it's possible to force awe to the surface. I do, however, believe that it's eminently possible to create the conditions necessary to allow moments of awe 
Because if we hope to survive the coming decades, if we hope to bequeath a living planet to our children and grandchildren, I believe we must cultivate a sense of our own belonging to the earth. And that's what awe is at its core. In my experience, contemplative practices such as meditation, mindfulness, and prayer can help open us to the vastness around us. What if this morning when I was walking down Central Park West, rather than watching my phone or thinking about whether you all would like me this morning or thinking about what I was coming into, I had instead found things to notice. And we don't even need that much time. Wayne Dyer suggests that all we need is five minutes a day to change our entire outlook on life. He says, go outside and turn your attention to the many miracles around you. And maybe that's the greatest key of all, just to give ourselves some intentional time to simply be with the world no agenda, no responsibilities, no nagging sense of needing to do something. And you, you can do it right here. Because like Merton found his mystical awakening in a major city, I couldn't help but notice that multiple of the kids this morning talked about how much they like Central Park and other natural spaces around here. I've even known some people who were able to experience all like Merton by mindfully doing everyday chores. Thich Nhat Hanh recommends dishwashing as an amazing way to practice being aware of the miracle of everyday life. And the first time I preached that, I was amazed afterwards how many people, especially men, came up to me and said, I finally understand why I like dishwashing. If we learn to care for the earth, we might just be able to avert the looming disaster that threatens our world's very survival. And maybe we might just learn to be able to experience the sacredness of the universe in the most ordinary times, while doing chores in a busy shopping district, or in transcendent times climbing the mountains we encounter in life. So that's your homework this afternoon as you go home. Find something that's awesome to you. Find something that reminds you of why it's amazing to be a part of this world and use it as an anchor to remind you that you belong to this world and it needs you right now. May it be so. Hi, and welcome to Getting the Message where we dive a little bit deeper into these service themes and topics. So glad you could be here. And we're here with Reverend Chris, who was our guest speaker today. Um, and so excited to have you join us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. 
Yeah. So we talked about awe mm -hmm. and not the AWW type, the AWE type. <laughs> yes. I'm kind of curious uh, why this topic. So uh, growing up so close to Louisville, I I heard that story that I used in the reading this morning from Thomas Burton so many times about how he just was walking down the street in a shopping district and had a moment of awe and suddenly realized he couldn't just do his spirituality cloistered up in the, a hermitage, but had to bring it out into the world and make a difference with it. And it really did shape, it, in many ways, it shaped the person he became, the interfaith leader that he became. And, um, but more importantly for me, it shows me that awe can come at many different places. And when it does come, it brings us together. It can bring us together because it makes us realize we're all part of something or that's interdependent, right. makes interdependence. It, interdependence isn't just a fancy theory, it's a truth. Right. Yeah. And that's interesting because I had a few coffee hour conversations about community and mm -hmm. uh, interdependence is such a critical part of community. Mm -hmm. um, so, were there any particular sources that you um, drew from? To... Yeah. Uh, besides the Besides the Merton text, I I've also looked through um, various humanist and Buddhist and uh, texts about um, interdependence. Thich Nhat Hanh especially has been influential for me because Thich Nhat Hanh's spirituality was very secular and everyday, very much. Um, in fact, the um, I referenced the dishwashing meditation in my sermon today. And I'm always amazed by the number of people when I say that who will come up to me afterwards and say, now I know why I like dishwashing as much as I do, because it helps bring me back into the universe. I worked for many years in the kitchen in college, mainly doing dishes. Um, and even more recently, um, worked in the dishroom of a hospital for a little while. And uh, you know, I think that one of the ways that I adapted and managed to handle the constantness of doing that was mm -hmm. was uh, making it a bit of a spiritual practice. So that now, even even now, if I want to de-stress, I'm like going and doing the dishes. <laughs> so yeah. when I saw the when I saw that um, included, I was like, oh, dishwashing, my favorite activity. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing because we have a machine machines that can do it much quicker and more efficient, and yet. When we do it by hand, it can be a transcendent thing. Right. I think it just feels better. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so in the Time for All Ages, I talked about like a, a place, a trip that I had gone on to, to Haolong Bay mm -hmm. uh, in Vietnam that was a really awe-inspiring experience for me of realizing like this absolute beauty of nature. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I also talked about places like Fourth U that were very awe-inspiring. Have there been special places and trips that you've done that have really inspired yeah. awe for you? Yeah, travel has really been a source of awe for me too. I've uh, just this past, back in March of 2022, I went on a um, uh, very short, shortly planned trip to uh, Peru and went to uh, Machu Picchu. But the most amazing thing is there's a mountain next to Machu Picchu called Wayanu Picchu. And Wayanu Picchu, they is um, 
the best view of Machu Picchu and the surrounding valley that you can get to. But the only way to get to it is up these giant ancient pre-Incan steps that uh, even people who are in peak shape uh, and ability have trouble getting up. I found myself halfway up going, why did I do this? But once you get to the top, it's really awe-inspiring to look down at the sacred valley below and realize how sacred the Incans held it, held this place in and um, realize it really is a special place and even more special in that the, it, it ended on its own. The Spanish conquistadors didn't find it right. at all at all because it was so tucked away in just their special place their part of the universe mm. you know? right um and i i always like to reference when i talk about that that on the converse side when i was coming down you see it's not the physical part that gets to you it's the psychological part because there are parts of coming down that it looks like if you make a wrong step you're going to fall into the river below you and um, I, it was shocking to have someone come down and pass me who was just talking on his cell phone. <laughs> um, good, and just taking good reception these, back there. Yeah, just taking these steps like they were nothing. And it really made me think. At first, it makes me think, why are you on your phone and not looking at that? But then you realize that's each of us every single day in many different ways. And we we often do it in less dramatic ways than talking on the phone while we're coming down Wyano Pichu, but we all do it. And the question becomes, how do we become more mindful when we are doing it? Now I've joked with a few people recently because I I've probably mentioned in a lot of these discussions that I walk up from Port Authority to the church, mm -hmm. you know, and I go through such beautiful, mindful places as Times Square. But like I try and make it like the like. What, what can I appreciate and see about this space? Like, even if it is like the most urban of urban spaces, the most, you know, capitalism at its core, like this, yeah. um, this strange place that is Times Square, like what can I find beautiful today? Mm -hmm. um, it can be a good practice. But when you were talking about the, the stairs uh, a few summers ago, I'm trying to remember which summer it was now, I went to the Sleeping Bear Dunes mm -hmm. in Michigan and we walked to the beach and uh, we, you know, we were told like, it's like, it's you got like three dunes to go. Um, but apparently what they count as a dune is a lot more than like each of the individual small dunes. Mm -hmm. um, and we got there and I was like, oh my gosh. and then on coming back, we, we literally almost ended up like calling me like, and I was in relatively okay shape, but it was 90 degrees and it was just like, oh my gosh, like I can't do this. So we were out of water. Um, and so, yeah, I, that mm -hmm. that resonated deeply. The 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 awe-inspiring experience of realizing your body's limits too. Yes, um, my my partner asked me, "Will I ever do it again?" And I said, "I don't particularly feel like I have a desire to do it again. It was nice to do it once." Right. <laughs> Recognize our limitations. That's something that awe can do for us as well. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that it, I think along with that, it goes that awe is not always a positive feeling. Right. We can, uh, the ancient, Jew, the ancient, and the ancient Jews talked about awe in the face of the fear of God. Right. So awe can come in places that don't exactly feel good too. Yeah. I'll have to think about.
Reverend Chris, thank you so much for being with us today yeah. and for sitting down with me after service. Of course. Thank you for having me.